Well, Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He is going away. And they cannot follow him. Chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, where our Gospel reading came from today, leaves no doubt that Jesus is no longer speaking to the disciples. He's speaking instead to God. Jesus is praying. His prayer begins in the beginning of, at the start of chapter 17, and it's a radical shift from this farewell meal that he was having with his disciples. You know, they often say in the Gospel of John that the first few chapters of the book of signs and the last chapters of the book of glory, talking about what is to come. And it's a dramatic shift when he starts praying, because prior to that, he begins first with the foot washing in chapter 13. An intimate, intimate encounter with his disciples, sharing with them all that he has. And then the next few chapters record his instructions to them. The give and the take, talking about what's going to happen. He talks about that he's the true vine, and he talks about the work of the Spirit, He's doing everything he can to prepare them for what life is going to be like in his absence. But then in chapter 17, he begins to pray. And he no longer is addressing the disciples. They're only referenced in the third person. He's speaking directly to God, praying for and on behalf of his disciples. And the reading that we had this morning begins in chapter, in verse 20. A good ways into the prayer. And he says, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. You know, often... These two verses, 20 and the beginning of 21, going through 23, are often noted as, as verses that are about unity. And they're often used in what's called the ecumenical church movement to talk about the unity within Christian denominations. And, and we're going to get to that. And it's, that's true. And it's a, it's a valid interpretation of what you hear in these verses. But... I also want to look at a little bit different kind of unity based on the actual context and the setting of what's happening here. Because you don't want to forget that Jesus is not talking to the community. He's not giving instruction to the community. He's praying on behalf of the community. And so his prayer is really a model of how he understands community should look and how it should be in the world. That they may all be one. In this prayer, Jesus doesn't supply a what you might call a pragmatic list of directives on how to arrive at church unity. He's not providing direction to different denominational bodies, is he? 
he's talking to a community of faithful that he is leaving behind. I'm guessing he's talking to a community of faithful much like this community. Faithful. Loyal. Anxious to be in the presence. Anxious to learn. Anxious to feel. Anxious to know. And Jesus knows that he is going to leave them. And so what Jesus does in this prayer that our gospel lesson is a part of this morning is he places the church in the hands of God and entrusts the church to God. So the reality is that the future of the church ultimately isn't up to us. It never really has been. It's up to God. It rests with God. Jesus makes that very clear. And so to successive generations of believers, this prayer communicates what that theological vision is, what a life of faith looks like. And Jesus places in the hands of God the community that he has created and trusts that God will live up to God's promises to that community. He's entrusted the church to God's protective care and loving kindness. And by the church, we mean the body of Christ. We mean the world. We mean the universe. We mean everyone. That's what he entrusted to God. So, well, that's nice. But are we a part of this? Are we involved in this at all? Because, you know, we'll say oftentimes that the Bible wasn't written to us. But does that mean that we can't find meaning in it? So we know that this is the life that Christ handed over and said, here, here's the community. Well, go back to our modern reading by Henry Nouwen. He said, remember, it is precisely by constant prayer and meditation that the community remains alert and open to the needs of the world. And that we come to know that together we want to discern God's will for us and to make our service a response to God's compassion, compassionate presence in our midst. That's as good a contemporary explanation of what our part in, in this as I've ever heard. Obviously, the future of the church is up to God. But we are in partnership with God. And part of how we stay in partnership is through our prayer and discerning what God's will is. Well, what does that mean for us here today? You probably know, or you may not know, that our denominational motto in the United Church of Christ comes from this prayer that Jesus offered to the community. Because our motto is that they may all be one. We have, a, you know, our, I have to admit, our denominational motto could use a little sprucing up 
but it does say that they may all be one. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not a denominational pep rally that we're having today. Okay? Like you, I struggle sometimes with ecclesiastical boundaries, denominational boundaries. I struggle sometimes on how much they help and do they hurt more than they help. It's not easy. But that being said, I still maintain that you'll not find a denomination more committed to justice than the United Church of Christ. From its very beginnings, I won't go into a history lesson on the UCC, but it began in 1957 and was actually four strands that came together, all four of which had a tremendous commitment to justice. And so I maintain that that commitment to justice we have as a denomination is probably why we'll never be a really huge denomination. Because it sometimes makes people uncomfortable. Because we ask a lot. We ask as a denomination to look into ourselves and to look at our prejudices and our biases and, and, and our opinions on things. And, and we're asked through different initiatives to step outside of ourselves and to step into areas that are uncomfortable and aren't quite so easy. And so to a certain degree, that's a part of what we're kind of launching today. You've all got your, your uh, little stickers, and if you come back, the prizes get better. Can I just share that every week? The prizes get better. Okay, we're launching our Mission One campaign. So what is that? Well, basically, you've got a, an insert about it, but it's, it's one united church on a shared mission for 11 powerful days, to feed the hungry, and more than that, to conf confront food-related injustice. To confront that injustice. Now, during those 11 days, you know, obviously the larger, the larger congregations can do more. You know, if you go online, and I cannot encourage you enough, I'll put it in the bulletin, I'll send you an email, but there is so much information on the UCC website about a lot of things, but in particular about this program and their justice issues. But it's ucc.org forward slash mission one. Uh, but I'll send that to you. But we're going to keep a tote board of what we accumulate between now and the first 11 days of November. You know, how many letters get written to Congress, how many dollars get donated, how many people get fed. Uh, it's an amazing effort that they're going to engage in. And one of the other things that they're going to do that, for me, is exactly what Christ was talking about, is they're going to have delegations that go to Congress to talk to congressional staff about some of these issues. We have what is called a uh, justice and ministries group in the UCC. It's powerful. It's amazing, the commitment and the effort they have. But most importantly, what we're trying to do for these 11 days is we're trying to take that UCC motto and that prayer that they may all be one, and we're trying to have it live and breathe and take form across the United Church of Christ. And also to educate ourselves and others. And you know, that's one of the things that intrigued me about it. Because I don't often stay particularly well-versed on certain things. 
I hate to admit this, but I have kind of my little world. And it gets pretty full. And, and so I get involved in what's a part of my world. And I don't always look out to things that aren't in my world. But I was intrigued that I'm being asked to do that different. I'm being asked to maybe learn a little something about what's going on in this country, what's going on in this world, the kinds of injustices that might be happening. And so as a denomination, we're going to advocate on behalf of hungry people here and around the world. We're going to raise money for hunger action purposes. We're going to share bread and tuna and peanut butter and vegetables and cereal with our neighbors in need. Now, this particular campaign, uh, our version of Mission One, is being uh, led by Connie Derringer and, and Mona Allard. And it's really very simple. There's, it could be real complicated, but we're just going to do two things. And they're very intentionally chosen. You're a generous congregation. You really are. You know, this small group gave almost $500 to use the food bank. You know, we had an enormous pile of school supplies. We did 50 hygiene kits for the back bay mission. You're a generous group of people. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to bring food every Sunday, starting next Sunday, through the, um, the 6th of November that we'll give to the Houston Food Bank. You've got an insert in your a bulletin on what kind of food things they like. And this isn't about a whole grocery bag. You know, if all you can bring is one can of tuna, God bless you. you hear me? It's, it's about the attention. So that's one thing we're going to do. But the second one is really the harder one. Because I don't know about you. That is easier, and writing a check is easier, we want you to write some letters. We want to ask you on November 6th, after you leave church, and Connie and Mona will get you the addresses, uh, we want you to write to your two U.S. senators, your U.S. representative, and the Obama administration, and they'll give you sample letters. And, and, uh, and this isn't about being an eloquent writer. This isn't about a polished letter. This is about one human being, one Christian human being, writing to another person, saying, I, I need to tell you how I feel about this. Now, you may not want to do that, and I get that. I'll be honest with you. I should probably should not share this. We're recording this, aren't we? Um, no I've never written a letter to my congressman. Now, I've done signed petitions. And actually, the congressional website they recommend is the best way to do it. But I've never intentionally said, I'm going to write a letter online or handwritten or not to anybody in Congress. And there's a lot of reasons that I wanted to. And so what I'm hoping happens as a result of this Mission One campaign is that, do I think we will help some people? Yes. You know, 
there's 24,000 children who die of starvation every day in this world. One every 3.6 seconds. And in this country, the number of children in poverty grows every day. It's a tough time, isn't it? And one of the things I'm hoping that changes is how we view all that. You know, you've probably read in the scriptures, it says it several places, where Jesus says, the poor you will have with you always. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we, we don't worry? You know, because there will always be poor people? You know what it means to me? There's always going to be someone, somebody, some group that is marginalized, that is oppressed, that's discriminated against, that's ignored, that's judged because of who they are. The poor is just an example. Because, you know, one of the things that happens to the, those who are chronically poor, the world judges them. And the problem with that is then they start to believe it. They start to believe that they've done something wrong. Because people say, well, if you just worked harder. And so what I'm hoping happens in this campaign that we get involved in, because we're going to put some links in the bulletin, we're going to send you some facts and figures, we're going to make you just a little uncomfortable, that maybe you'll investigate. And I don't know that you'll decide that this is a, a cause for you, but you know the one thing I know? He said it will change you, because it always does. When we open our hearts and we open our spirits to others, to something different, it changes us. And the miracle is it changes us forever. And the second reason that we picked the letter writing, because there's a million things we could do, and there's some we may do down the road. They have some great ideas. The reason we picked the letter writing is because it gives us a chance to give someone a voice who does not have a voice. And I know you know what that feels like. I know there's been moments and times in your life when you felt like you didn't have a voice, that you were not heard. You know, those who are hungry and in poverty in this country feel that way a lot. And it gives us a chance even if it's just on one Sunday afternoon writing six letters, to finally be a voice for someone else. That's a powerful experience that I think will change us. You know the prelude song we picked today um, was Winona Judd, Testify to Love. And I want to read the lyrics again. One of the stanzas says, From the mountains to the valleys, from the rivers to the seas, every hand that reaches out, every hand that offer, reaches out to offer peace, 
every simple act of mercy, every step to kingdom come, all the hope in every heart will speak what love has done. Amen.